this never wavering, never deviating from the strategy, it's tiring, it's exhausting. It's also, unfortunately for all of us, the cost of entry to be successful. The reason there's gonna be a billion motivational views today on YouTube is that people love the feeling of being motivated. They don't like putting in the work to do something about the feeling. Be optimistic instead of pessimistic. If you can't do that, you just absolutely have no chance of winning because it's all how one synthesizes what's in front of them. I don't think I'm that talented. I do think I've outworked people. I think that's real. I also think it's controllable. And I think anybody who's watching right now, they may not be the most talented entrepreneur or salesman or uh, you know an amazing uh, craft of content, but if they outwork somebody, that is a variable that feels in control. What's going on guys, your boy Elroy here and welcome back to the Your Boy Elroy MMA podcast. I'm your host Josh Prep Igina and I'm here with my good buddy Andre Flow State Dre Rodriguez. What's going on Andre? What's up Josh? How you feeling man? Feeling great. Looking great too. We are a quarter of a century old in episodes right now. This is episode 25. How, how do you feel? knowing that you've done this for 25 straight weeks. Hey, man, it's been a good journey. I, I've had a lot of fun, and um, I'm actually just happy that we got this far. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a fun thing to do with you. It's a uh, very – I love being able to talk about this stuff. So, uh, And to get to talk to, to someone who is so passionate about it every week – just makes me look forward to it more and more. So I want to thank you for uh, being here, being consistent for 25 weeks, and here's 25 more. Sip of water. <laughs> Sip of water. <sighs> but right off the bat, let's get into the news, Andre. We had, this is the best thing about MMA. We had three major promotions. I mean, two major promotions, one promotion who's trying to find their way. Um, trying to find their niche, and I, I respect it. You know, we have our qualms about Bare Knuckle, but, you know, they are trying. So we had a UFC fight night this week. We had a Bellator overseas this week, which there was problems with, like, their programming, and they ended up having, like, Paul Daly as the main event in the U.S., which is beyond me, but... That as an aside, and we also had Paulie Malignaggi versus Artem Lobov this week. How'd you keep up? Were you able to watch everything, or did you just pick and choose, watch main events? I mean, I saw the Chris, uh, I believe Chris Lieberman fought on that card, and yeah, I saw that fight. I wasn't too sure if that happened the same night, because I wasn't paying attention. I saw it on Instagram, but that knockout was flush, man. That dude, he dominated him. But um, <laughs> the Paulie fight, um, I'm sorry, but... Paulie was talking about how he was going to destroy this guy. And you can't destroy a guy with a jab. All right, so let's just start off with BKFC because, for me, it was the biggest thing that happened this week. It was um, it overtook, unfortunately, a major title change in Bellator, and it overtook a great comeback win for the Korean Zombie in the UFC. Artem Lobov versus Paulie Malignaggi. My first question, did this fight play out the way that you thought it would yeah i thought that paulie was gonna have a tough time adjusting to 
the style of fight that it was because it's not like boxing. A lot of times in the ring, when you have 8-ounce, 10-ounce gloves on, you can take a couple shots and be okay and still be able to move and adjust. But, you know, in bare-knuckle fighting, it's kind of tough because one punch could actually cut you. And uh, it becomes very dangerous because you don't truly know what's going to happen to you until you're really in there. And a lot of guys might have good chins, but it's different when there's no padding. You know, it's a real punch, and that, that can mess somebody up. So I don't think he compensated for that, and I don't think he understood how they were going to score the fight. So, yeah, he lost based off of a lack of aggression and the fact that he was on his back foot for pretty much the entire fight. And Artem sucks at boxing. He has freaking T-Rex arms, <laughs> but he was landing the better of the strikes in the exchange, and he was landing the bigger power shots. So that's just Paulie's fault. Yeah, so from the beginning of the fight, my big thing was, you know, I talk about how Paulie Malinaji, one of the boxers that I did watch back in the day, my dad loves boxing. Yeah. So Paulie constantly being on, you know, easy to access, I'm not going to say free TV, but like cable television, yeah. you know, as a fighter, it was good to see the uh, the wiggle down and the wiggle up. Like, I ha- it's been, what, five years since he's boxed? Um. And, yeah, Artem looks so, like, odd in there, but the fact that he's tough, he, he can win. Like, it's not it's not a skill game. It's can you last and land a few? <laughs> yeah, and on top of that, people also forget this guy spars regularly with Connor. He trains regularly with Connor, and he has a lot of the same striking instincts as Connor. He may not have the longest arms, but you can see how a lot of times, you know, he has the same style of pullback counter. He has the same entries and exits that Connor does where he kind of just moves his body along with his footwork and likes to throw that uppercut slash jab and, and then get in there with some power shots. So he's got skills. It's just, you know, he doesn't have the physical upside. But can you imagine if this guy had, like, Connor's arms or at least a couple inches shorter? Like, Artem would have been really dangerous in the UFC. Because it would have been hard to take him down, too. Because he's not that easily taken down. He's got a good chin. But, dang, yeah. Yeah. Hats off to him. Number one, big events like this, my favorite things to come out of them, usually the memes. Oh, yeah. The picture of, like, Paulie's face on SpongeBob's body was like, I only got hit once. So funny. It's the first thing I've thought of. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you definitely got hit once. Look at your face. The crazy thing is about bare knuckle, which um, nobody really thinks about, is the fact that you you can break your hands. Right? Like, if you're breaking your hands with an 8-ounce glove, I can only imagine when you're fighting bare knuckle. And, you know, it's only 10 minutes, but if you're, like, <coughs> fighting someone like Artem, you have to swing for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and on top of that, like, breaking your hand is very easily. It only takes about 5 pounds of pressure to break the ligament. And, um, you know, the hard part is that in a bare-knuckle fight, you have to be very accurate to where you're throwing because, you know, in boxing, you can punch a guy on the crown and be okay because you have 10 ounces of padding, 8 ounces of padding. In the UFC, it's a little different, but, you know, stuff like that doesn't always happen because there's kicks and knees and elbows involved. But in bare-knuckle, it's like if you throw the wrong punch to the wrong place, like your hand's going to shatter very easily. That's why you see a lot of like people like Beck Rawlings. Like when she was throwing, you could tell that it was different because when she would throw a punch, 
and a combination. She didn't throw it to the head. She always threw it to the chest, and then the girl's head was usually there. But, um, you know, hey, at the end of the day, it's a nice sport, and I think it's going to come up. I just think they have to start breeding some serious competition. And there are some good guys like in the United, like the United Kingdom because there's one guy in particularly I've seen him on YouTube and this dude's got vicious head movement, knockout power, good footwork, and uh, I don't know his name but I have him saved on Facebook. But those are the kind of guys you have to have versatile strikers who can come in and say, "Yeah, let's do this." Yeah, I was gonna ask because you know Polly said one and done. Like I. Like, maybe if I would have won, it would have made sense to make a run for the title. But he lost. Did you, First of all, did you agree with the decision? I did. I, I think that um, he was really thinking of a boxing-style mentality. It's not like that bare knuckle. They're not going to score it based off of, you know, ring generalship. They're not going to base it off of accuracy and all that stuff and footwork because, let's face it, this is a spectator sport. They want to see blood. They want to see your face mangled. They want to see someone get brutally knocked out. Like, that's literally what BKFC was made for. And Pauly didn't understand that. If he really wanted to win this fight, he could have put on a boxing masterclass and destroyed Artem if he wanted to, but he didn't. So that's really his fault. You can't just walk into a new world and expect to, you know, do well if you're not prepared for what's going to happen. It's the same thing as Conor versus Floyd. He walked in there, threw a lot of big shots early, was really not understanding that Floyd has really never been knocked out before, and he thought he was going to put him out with one shot, and it didn't happen. So by the 10th round, this guy's gassed, and he's like, okay, I'm going to lose this fight in a couple of minutes. And, and that's the same thing that happened to Paul. He kept throwing that jab, expecting for the right shot to open up, and it's not. Even in boxing, he was never a power puncher. So, you know, whatever, man. Glad it's one and done for him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is there any anything that can really bring them up? Like, is it another boxer going into it, or do they ride the heels of Artem and kind of, like, make him, you know, it's a meme, he's the GOAT, but do they – continue to like push him and try to actually make him a household name i mean to be honest with you artem is popular and um i think that that will be more than enough for them you know to kind of push that but like i said they have to have real contenders that come in there who really know how to box because that's where they'll make their money somebody who's knocking everyone out somebody who looks like a star and if they don't have that, it's just going to be – it's not going to be enough because if you look at the demographic now of the type of fighters that they're getting in the main events, it's guys who didn't do well in MMA, people who got cut, people who were in the UFC and maybe retired, old-style fighters. Like It's just not enough. It's not as appealing because even though these guys are putting it out all on the line, you're seeing a bunch of old dudes fighting. So it's like, get some younger guys. If they get some younger guys, I promise you the sport will rise very quickly. Because in Thailand, they have Luthway and they have regular Muay Thai. Muay Thai is a sport over there pretty much where they have the gloves. And, you know, they're still doing elbows and knees. But Luthway is different because Luthway is bare knuckle. And all they have is the wrapping around their, their, their fists. But other than that, 
it's it's go time. It's basically bare knuckle, but with kicks and knees and elbows. Like that's the real bare. Which knuckle. is the real, yeah. yeah. That's the one thing that threw me off. Like I'm turn, I'm tuning into bare knuckle, <laughs> thinking I'm gonna see like an MMA fight with no gloves. Oh yeah. And you know it's not that. I think that that limits them. Yeah. Um, I understand it because you know it is bare knuckle boxing. Yeah. But um, I think the better option is having like that full contact like mma without gloves that would be like the next level for them yeah because if you look back um ballet tudo was that and that was that was around before the whole mma thing happened that's really where the gracies got it from because back in the early 90s way before the ufc ballet tudo was a thing you know like people were fighting each other in a cage but with no gloves on and they all they had was spats on and they were going to town on each other that was normal but you could even see it in there that their approach was different because they knew they had to throw more punches because, you know, you had no gloves on. So, you know, you weren't just expecting that one shot. Like, you had to really go in there and fight your way out. Um, you know, there's there's a documentary that Henzo Gracie did where he was doing a Valet Tudo fight and the cage was broken. And he was getting kicked in the head by the opponent's, like, corner and his <laughs> friends. So that's how crazy it was. So I, if they took a page out of the Valet Tudo book and brought that back, that would be huge, you know, especially if they did a mix of one side being a bare-knuckle boxing match and one side being a bare-knuckle kickboxing match or a Muay Thai match, something like that. That would be good because then you could see the full contact, elbows, knees, punches, kicks, and people are going to want to pay to see that, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah. So switching gears from a competition that, you know, is a spectator sport. It needs finishes. Let's talk about Dana White's contender series. So this week, Miles John and Miguel Baeza were awarded contracts. Kyle Dawkins won his fight was but was severely snuffed. He gave that guy a one-sided beating. Scores of 30-25 on a card. When's the last time you've seen a card like that? And you saw my Twitter. You must have seen it. It's, it's ridiculous. I was extremely upset watching this live. I, um, I think the Miguel Baeza choice, I, I do agree with the Miles Johns choice. He was my other choice. I, I think he deserves a contract. I think he's a bigger Demetrius Johnson-style fighter. Like Not just because he looks like him. But, like, he has that style. He's well-rounded. And he gave that guy a pummeling for those those three rounds. The Miguel Baeza choice, I think he's going to have one fight in the UFC, and he's going to get destroyed. He's not on that level. Kyle Dawkins is someone, I believe, who is on that level. He, and this guy was a problem that Kyle Dawkins was fighting. Like, a fantastic fighter. And he just... You know, he couldn't get the finish. If he would have got the finish, would he have got the contract? Probably not because it's clear that Dana White was already looking ahead of him. Yeah, and, you know, he did the same thing with Brennan Laughlin, and, and that pissed me off because, look, let's just forget about the fight. Let's just forget about the fact that there was a contract on the line. If that was a CFFC middleweight title match and Kyle Dawkins did that to somebody, how could he not get a contract in the UFC after that? Like, he completely obliterated a quality opponent 
was the only one on the card that got a 30-25 score, and that wasn't for anything. That wasn't a mistake. Because another one, another judge gave him a 30-26. So it's like, dude, come on, man. Like, you wanted to see a finish, and that was the closest thing you got. Submission attempts, ground and pound. I mean, this dude did everything. And then on top of that, aside from his performance, Cal Dawkins is going to be dangerous for anybody. He's got long arms, and he's very big for the division. He's the same size as Israel Adesanya. And how much did his su- his striking surprise you? Oh, no, it didn't surprise me at all. Like, I didn't, but for me, watching his fights, knowing all his finishes were Submission, submissions, yeah. seeing how crisp his striking was. Oh, yeah, I know yeah. they trained Bang Muay Thai over there, but oh my God, he looked fantastic. Yeah, man, and you know, there, there's, there's something to be said about <laughs> Martinez, BJJ. These guys are no joke, man, like... They don't have the same level staple of fighters like a Henzo Gracie Philly or a Balance um, Studios, but these guys can scrap, man. Like, I've seen a couple of their fighters, and those dudes are seriously well-rounded. And, you know, it's not for nothing, but Will Martinez is a genius. I mean, he came up under the Machado brothers, and then he expanded his game. He fought himself, and if you look at his record, he's like 13-2 and two in, in MMA. Like, he had fought Desmond Green in Desmond Green's time in the Bellator semifinal, and he only lost because he was getting taken down and couldn't secure a submission. But he was piecing Desmond Green up, and that goes to show that his style of fighting, it, it showed how well-rounded he was, and all of the guys who train with him are the same way. So Kyle Dawkins will be in the UFC, but at the same time, like, if these guys aren't getting these contracts fast and they're beating the crap out of their opponents like that, yo, Chatri City Otong, be right there to call. Hey, listen, I saw that contract that you didn't get. I saw how dominant you were. I'll pay you this much on a three-fight contract to come to one championship and fight for us. That's what I would do if I was a if I was the owner of one FC. I'd be like, hey man, listen. You're an excellent fighter. I don't know what Dana isn't seeing, but I see it. Like, let's go. Like, I already have the contract. I'm sending it to your manager now. You know what I mean? Because that's the only thing I'll sound off on. Because Kyle Dawkins' performance speaks for itself. He should have gotten that contract easily. And if Dana didn't see that and had the, the audacity to say that he was planning on moving to 170, and that there's a lot of uh, holes in his game that will give him trouble against opposition in the UFC. Like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You're only looking for finishes. And guess what? Most of the guys that you bring in that have a high finish rate get their ass whooped by somebody who just knows how to control people. So it's like, why keep going with that formula? Pick fighters who are at a high level and put them in the UFC because those are the guys who are going to do well. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at look at all of our champions. Kamaru Usman. Not a very high finishing rate, right? How did he win his title? Unanimous decision, dominant wrestling on the cage, on the ground. Look at our heavyweight, former Daniel Cormier. High finishing rate? Not really. But when he does, ground finishes, submissions. Stipe Miocic, not a huge knockout artist. Fought Francis Ngannou, the most dangerous knockout artist in the UFC, dominates in the five rounds. So we have a staple of champions that do it like that, that get the job done. 
One of the greatest of all time, George St. Pierre. How'd he do it? Ten title defenses, I believe, in a row. Same way. You need to be looking for guys like that. Not these bum-ass dudes who just go out there and throw big punches and one lands and they're like, yeah, I'm the best. Like, you're not the best. So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, it's extremely unfortunate. Don't get me wrong. I do believe that Kyle Dawkins will be in the UFC sooner rather than later. And Dana's going to be eating his words on this one because that was rough. It kind of, like, throws me off on this whole series, too. Like I don't like it anymore. Like, how good was that meme where it was, like, do, uh, Dana White's Tuesday night finishing <laughs> series or something like that? Like, yeah. It's so true. Like, if you're only looking for finishes, then, dude – I thought I thought you're like a fighting I thought you knew this. I thought you built this. He doesn't. And you know like what he said about Brendan Lockman. He said with 10 seconds left you don't shoot in. What? Why wouldn't you shoot in if you're trying to win the fight? That doesn't even make, And that's what pisses me off. You're expecting a guy who's not really a big puncher to go in and throw big punches with another big puncher? Does that make any sense? If we were fighting right now, and I was a boxer and you were a wrestler, and there was 10 seconds left on the clock, would you throw big punches with me, or would you go for a takedown go to secure the, the victory? Yep. It's just common sense. And he doesn't understand that, and I'm sorry. They talk about how Dana White's a big fight fan, but you can be a big fight fan, but you don't know anything about martial arts. Like, what he said about Kyle Dawkins in the full mount, like, dude, I wanted to literally go to Vegas and punch this dude in his face. But anyways, let's just move on. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm going crazy right now. Oh, man. Let's let's talk about the main event of Bellator 223. We saw Rafael Lovato Jr. defeat Gegard Mousasi. I believe you called this. Uh, you spoke about how high-level Rafael Lovato Jr. was. And, dude, it really showed how much of a beast he was and how bad he wanted this. Because those five rounds, you could have probably gave him, out of the three that he won, two 10-8s easily. That, those first two rounds, he dominated Gegard. Yeah. And, and let's not forget. I'm God. sorry. There's a fly in here. No. It's okay. But it's, like, driving me nuts. It's okay. <laughs> it's totally fine. Um. Listen, I had said it before, Rafael Lovato Jr. is he's different. Um, but the one highlight that I wanted to talk about was not his ground game. It was his clinch game. He would throw with Gegard, and you could tell that Gegard was trying to knock this dude out the first few rounds. Like He was throwing with ill intent. But what did Rafael Lovato do? Lift his leg up guard shield where everything's basically protected ribs head and his other leg and then as soon as he got close enough plum clinch and he did that and it completely took away Gegard's ability to really mix it up and then that's how he would get in to get these takedowns such a beautiful thing to see because he took a page out of Daniel Cormier's book and um, he knew that he had to because Gegard, it's not even the fact that Gegard has one punch knockout power. Gegard's a precise animal. And he did this. He did a striking masterclass before he took Roy McDonald down. And how did he do it? Just with a jab and a straight right hand. And it's too fast for a lot of people in that division because a lot of those dudes are big. But Gegard punches like a welterweight. Like he's that fast. 
But the crazy thing is that Lovato just dominated him everywhere. And even when Gegard was on top of him landing strikes, like, Rafael Lovato was not phased at all. He's just like, okay, like, I prepared for this. And that's the difference. That's when you can tell that there's a guy who was prepared. Same thing as Henry Cejudo versus Demetrius Johnson. He was prepared to do whatever he had to do to win. He had a solid game plan, and he stuck to it. And um, Lovato deserved that title. And um, you can tell that he's going to be there for a while. And I'm just really happy. The thing that did scare me, though, was the size that he had on Gegard. I did not think he was that big. I thought he was like 6'1". But he was like a solid 6'3", 6'4". Big dude, chiseled, too. Like, massive. he's like massive. And he's like 35 or 36. And he's he's a tank. But he's so skilled that he doesn't have to really use his strength like that. Like, some of the scrambles that I saw, like, they were just so high level with what he was doing. Like... Even to the point where Gegard had him and he was throwing strikes. And, you know, um, Lovato's, like, his neck and his back was pretty much, like, on the fence almost. But you could see the level of composure that he had. That he wasn't worried about what position he was in because he was going to get out of it anyways. And that just goes to show a real level of maturity that a lot of fighters don't get until they get to later in their careers. And um, I just thought it was a, an excellent performance. And he did this against one of the most, you know, underrated middleweights in MMA's history. So hats off to him. Yeah, so are you a firm believer in karma? Uh, kind of. I think this is a, a case of, of, you know, something that Gegard said coming back to bite him in the butt. So, I don't know how you felt about those comments, but I will ask you now. Gay Guard putting out a statement a few days before the fight. I don't do this because I love it. I do this to get paid. Now, as a podcast who loves MMA, who, like, this is our passion, talking about it. You know, we, we enjoy the sport. We respect every aspect of the sport. Do you think that that was one of the things that kind of took him down, you know? Yeah, because he fought a martial arts purist. He fought somebody who doesn't care about the money, but cares about just competing at a high level and reaching that ultimate goal, which is to have that gold wrapped around your waist. Gegard put his foot in his mouth. And, you know, the thing is this. For me, MMA is still a growing sport, and... um. In my opinion, you don't get to really talk like that unless you're making Floyd Mayweather type of money. Because then that's the ultimate goal. Hey, I'm going to go into this fight. I'm going to win. Make $40 million. You're not making that kind of money, dude. So the, the kind of paydays you're talking about, like, okay, you make what? A couple hundred thousand? Big deal. Like, that's not, that's not the right motivation to have when you're fighting as a champion against a guy who's dominated everybody he's ever faced. So it's like, dude, what are you talking about? It's just, it's silly. But, you know, Gegard's been doing this for a long time. And I kind of understand where he's coming from. Because at one point, you know, he had gold in a lot of different organizations. Strike Force, Dream, you name it. So I can kind of see how he is just doing this for the money. But it's like, dude, if you expect to be a champion for a long time, 
you have to be passionate about what you're doing because if not, there's going to be somebody else that comes along that's not just going to let you punch them in the face. That's not going to let you take them down and submit them. That's going to say, hey, I want to win this fight, and I'm going to do what I have to do to win. So, you know, at the end of the day, this is Rafael Lovato's time. And when I look at the middleweight division and the Bellator's lineup, um, there's nobody who can beat him at all. Not one single fighter. I don't know. I'm very, very curious about some of these matchups coming up. I mean, like who? If you're not going straight to Gay Guard again, you know, which is still a dangerous fight. You yeah. know, all all karma aside, everything we just said, him fighting Gay Guard again. If Gay Guard makes the right decisions, or the right, you know, if he goes in with the right game plan, he wins. Just like anybody. Yeah. No, no, it's true. You know, um, Gay Guard can come in there and just be aggressive, really aggressive, but, you know, striking-wise. Yeah, because he's not going to, you know, as big as Rafael, or, yeah, as big as he is, he's not going to knock Gay Guard out. Yeah, he's not. You know, he really does have to get a hold of him. But the dangerous fight is Mishida. Even at that age, they're both they're both pretty old, you know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. But the reason why I don't see Machida winning is because he won't take that many risks, I think. Like, what he did against Chael, of course you're going to throw a flying knee against a wrestler. The head's always going to be there where you need it to be. But when you're looking at a jiu-jitsu player of the caliber of, you know, Lovato Jr., he's not going to be doing that because Lovato's not going to shoot in like that knowing that that's going to happen. He's going to try and get into the clinch and then work his way to a takedown. So it's a, it's a different level because, like, in Chael's case, wrestling is all he knows. But Lovato can wrestle, and he's playing, like, jiu-jitsu at such a high level, it's not even funny. And, you know, people forget, too, Leota's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but it's just different. Like, I would say that there's MMA black belts in jiu-jitsu, and there's real jiu-jitsu black belts. And a lot of people might laugh at me when I say that, but the no, difference... No, it's true. It's yeah. true. Like, sometimes you see that... Like, this person's a black belt on their, like, fighter card. And you're like, really? This this person's a black belt? Yeah. They don't show it. Yeah, and when you think about it, like, all right. And, I, and I'll put it like this. GSP. Black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But even John Danaher said it. Hey, he's a black belt, a legitimate black belt, but it's a different type of game. Like, his black belt is really in the aspect of control. So if GSP takes you down, you best believe that if you're not ready, he's going to pass your guard, and he's going to work to get to mount and or side control crucifix and destroy you. That's what he's a master at. And then you have guys like Luke Rockhold, who's just, and I'm going to say it, like a real master at jiu-jitsu, because when this guy does get to the ground, it's nearly impossible to stop him. Like when he fought Chris Weidman, he made that one mistake. That was it. When he fought Lyoto Machida in Lyoto's prime, I would say, he took Lyoto down, and that was it. And that's kind of the same game that Rafael Lovato has. Like, if you go to the ground, it doesn't matter if he's on his back. It doesn't matter if he has he's on top of you. That's it. It's over. It doesn't matter what you do, how, how good your guard defense is. Like, he's going to submit you any way he has to. And, you know, um... I just think that that's kind of the problem that he's going to give a guy like Leona Machida. 
because I don't think he's going to be able to truly last with him on the ground if it goes a full five minutes. Not a lot of people will be able to weather that storm. But um, I don't know. Let's see what happens because I'm really liking this cross-promotion thing that Bellator is doing, and that's something we'll definitely talk about along you know later. But I'd love to see Rafael Lovato versus Ong Lung Sung in a cross-promotion title match because that would be that would be huge. That would be something that everybody's tuning into, and that would have to be on the zone. That would have to be. Did you? I don't know if you, did you get a chance to see Joe Rogan's MMA show this week with uh, filmmaker Will Harris? Yeah, yeah, I did. I saw a lot of it. It was really good. I was gonna say I don't know if you caught it, but it was so good to hear them talk about Unlung Sung and Joe Rogan talking about how good he is. He is so good, man, and, and he's so skilled. It's just. You know, one one FC is still growing, and that's okay. You know, even Ung Lung Sung's story is is incredible. Like he he fought like in this area for a long time. He fought in Bellator. I mean, he he's fought some of the best fighters that we've seen now. Even guys in the UFC, he's done so well. And um, now you can see that this dude is not playing. Like he can fight in both weight classes because of how good he is. And his fight is coming up against Brandon Vera. And I'm really excited to see that fight because it's going to be two of the best strikers, you know, in that um, promotion. And yeah, it's going to be a barn burner. Brendan Vera, completely different fighter in one championship oh, yeah. from his UFC run. Speaking of UFC, let's let's just touch on it real quick. Korean Zombie versus Hanato Moicano. What a highlight reel finish that was. Knocking out Hanato cold. It was spectacular something that i honestly did not expect and the setup was beautiful chance on jung is not playing around man like look he fought and it's okay to say this but he fought a jose aldo that was the king of the featherweight division and it's okay sometimes you just run into those guys that you can't beat at that moment because of how good they are we had a Chad Mendez who fought Jose Aldo a second time in his prime. One of the best fights at 145 of all time. And if that was anybody else other than Jose, Chad would have killed me. But, you know, Chan Sung Jung looks different. He had a lot of time to recuperate from his injuries. He had a lot of time to kind of just rethink about his career and what he wants to do. Because we look at Chan Sung Jung's pedigree and he beat some of the best guys in that run that he had to get to the title. One of them being Dustin Poirier. And he dominated Dustin Poirier in that fight. But you know, when you're looking at him now, he's a much more seasoned veteran. And um, aside from his excellent grappling ability, this guy's got some serious punching power. And he's not as big as a lot of the 145ers. Because if you think about it now, you look at how they stacked up together, him and Moicano. He gave up four, um, uh, four inches of height. And, like, I think a three or four inch uh, reach. No, no, no. I think he had the reach advantage, but he was not the taller man that night. But it's that skill that he has where he's able to understand angles, when to throw, when not to throw, when to pull back, and when to throw those big power shots. And the one thing a lot of people don't see, too, is that he's really good at conserving his energy. Because, you know, like, when you look at the fight against him and um, I always forget his name. The Mexican fighter that he fought, he got knocked out in the last second. Damn. You see, he like I don't know why I the phenom. Yeah. Uh, or is it the phenom? No, it's the. Uh, oh my god! Why do I 
always forget his name. Let me just look him up. Let me look him up. Jesus. I'm so sorry. It's oh, gonna bug me. It's not the phenom. It's something else. Like uh, Chang Sung Jung. And I'm so sorry, everyone. I always forget this guy's name. Yair Rodriguez. Yeah. What's What's his nickname? El Pantera. Pantera. There you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> getting to my point, he fights this guy, a very high-paced striker, who is pretty well-rounded in his own right, and Chang Sung Jung just dominates him basically. Like, yeah, this kid throws a lot of kicks and and crazy technique, but Chang Sung Jung was not phased. And when he had to throw, when he had to really put the push the pace, he did, and he pretty much won that fight against an up and comer. And you know, um, that just goes to show how good he is. So when he gets to the later stages, like of his uh, next title run, which I know is gonna happen, we could be seeing somebody who's gonna give Max Holloway a real problem, because Chan Sung Jung does not get hit that easily. And even when he does, like he's got a chin on him. He's not going to get picked apart like a lot of these other guys. But um, I like the call-out that Jeremy Stevens did. Um, I just think that he's barking up the wrong tree because Jeremy Stevens will get caught with another body shot because that's one of Chan Sung Jung's best techniques. So um, And is also his uppercut. It's probably one of the best in MMA. So there's a lot of great fights lined up for him. And um, I just hope that the UFC kind of puts him in the right situation so that way he can make a title run. Because yeah. of, in, in the top five, these guys, I know he can beat them. So It's a it's a very, very exciting for that division. Yeah. Let's get into some news, Andre. Um, there's one piece of news and a ton of fight announcements. Just something that I want to touch on really quickly. Diego Sanchez leaves Jackson Wink. Um... This coming off, like, he's one of the most known fighters, you know, as far as, like, longevity that has been at Jackson Wink. Uh, he claims that his needs were not met this camp, so he left three weeks before this fight that he has with Michael Chiesa. Now, if you think about this, Diego Sanchez is on the same card as two of Jackson Wink's biggest fighters, and we're talking about fighters who are in the co-main event and main event of this card, being John Jones and Holly Holm. Do you think that's fair for Diego to just like say, "All right, my needs are not being met. I'm out." With like things like that, we're talking about champions, like in your gym, who you are well aware of. Like you knew this go- coming into this card that I'm going to be on the same card as two of the biggest fighters in this camp. It, it's a it's kind of a tough pill to swallow for me because when you think about Jackson Wink, this guy's been there from the beginning, you know. But here's the thing. Um, I'll just say it like this. Was it selfish of him? I don't really know because... Is it fair to call it selfish when, like, you know, it's kind of a selfish sport? It is. And, you know, the, here's my thing. It is hard because even in these gyms now where you see a lot of these up-and-coming fighters, a lot of these guys are fighting based off of instinct because they don't get the amount of time that they want. Maybe they're working full-time jobs. Maybe there's another fighter there who just got to the UFC and he's getting all the attention. Maybe you have one of those champions in your gym. But that's just a problem of the coaches. You have to be able to give everybody who has a fight an equal amount of time. And I get it. Look. 
Jackson Wink is John Jones and Holly Holmes gym. I'll just say it like that. Just like it was GSP's and Rashad Evans gym for a long time. But at the end of the day, for him to leave three weeks before his fight against one of the most dangerous welterweights right now. Irresponsible. It was very irresponsible. It was very immature. And it's very unprofessional. Because Michael Chiesa is a killer in his own right. Yeah, don't ever talk about his mama. No. And not only that, don't ever talk about this guy's beard. All right? This guy's (laughs) not playing, and and a lot of people don't get it. Look, I will say, and I will legitimately say on this podcast, Michael Chiesa was being held back at 155 because of that weight cut. And I will say that. Because this dude is stupid strong. When he's up on weight and he's healthy, this guy's dangerous. He's tall, and he's like another John Jones. Surprising strength. Excellent grappling ability. And is very durable. Nothing really happens to him in the fights. If he's gassed, it's because of the weight cut. 170 now, he's even more dangerous because he's hydrated, he's mostly taller than everybody, and his wrestling and jiu-jitsu mix together is some of the best in the world. So, I don't see Diego winning this fight at all. I think... um, As much as it pains me to say, I I think this is going to be another fight where Chiesa dominates another legend. You know, because when I saw that fight against him and Condit, that broke my heart, man. I've been a Condit fan for as long as I've been watching WEC, and those were the glory days. And to just see Michael Chiesa dominate a high-level grappler like that, I mean, it goes to show, like, this dude's the real deal, and he's one of the sleepers right now in that division, so... Wait to see him against a top-level, you know, competitor. And I really want to see him versus Leon Edwards. So, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, next week, huge breakdown of that card. That card is fantastic. Excellent. Uh, From top to bottom, honestly, you know, we had a card last, you know, a few weeks ago that literally from the, the first fight of the night to the last, you had to watch it all. But, um... Another news note that I wanted to talk about that completely slipped my mind, Sugar Sean O'Malley getting pulled from the card because he did test once again for trace amounts of Osterine, um, and Nevada has suspended his license. So, you know, on a card with John Jones... You know, you think Nevada would be more understanding. And, you know, this is the second time that this is happening to Sugar Sean. Clearly, he already has served his time. Do you think this is fair? I'm going to say it's not. Um, Look, Sugar Sean is a great fighter. And I understand that every fighter has to be treated equally in these types of situations. Of course, USADA or whoever found the, you know, tainted supplement or whatever ever the hell it was, you know, in wake of what happened with TJ, uh, obviously they're going to be a little more tight. But, come on, man. You're, you're screwing up a card. And, you know, what's worse is the fact that... Look at this kid's frame. <laughs> Why would he be taking Osterine? Like, it's an obvious enhancement. But come on, dude, like, just stop. There has to be a way to not have this happen. Look, take 
the most performance-enhancing drugs. Test for them regularly. Anything else is obviously a tainted supplement. It's clear that there's a lot of types of different supplements that will give these guys an edge in their fights. Obviously, EPO being one of the worst because that's a complete stamina boost. You know, it's like drinking a quick little potion and there you go. I can go 15 rounds now. And it's not fair at all, but this is Sugar Sean O'Malley we're talking about. Like, this guy is a headliner in a couple more fights. So, it's just stupid to me. And um, even even me with the John Jones thing, give it a rest. This guy's obviously not doing anything anymore. Just give him an opportunity to fight and get this crap over with. I really hope that USADA and VADA gets their stuff together with this because uh, I understand the drug testing thing. But if this is so important that you're screwing up cards, then let's talk about your weight-cutting issue. Because that screws up cards too when a guy nearly dies and can't come to the day of the fight. And then they have to scramble around and find somebody's replacement and ruin everybody's night for the hundreds and $200 tickets that they paid for to sit in the stands to see a huge main event. Let's talk about that. Because that's an even bigger problem. You have guys who are literally losing 9 to 10 pounds that isn't water weight a week before their fight and literally almost ending up in the hospital. So I don't even want to hear it with this drug crap. Because one championship, Dream, freaking Risen, they don't do that kind of stuff. But their fighters aren't cutting that much weight and they're putting on better performances than your UFC guys. So that's all I have to say about this drug testing crap. I hope that they um, they are a little bit more forgiving with Sugar Sean the next time around if something like this happens. But I don't think it will because I don't think this guy's taking anything. Kills me. Kills me. I really want, I really was looking forward to that fight against Marlon Vera. Me too. All right. Let's get into some fight announcements. Hopefully all these fights end up going down. Uh, the latest one being Jeff Neal versus Nico Price. I like that fight. Yeah, I really like Jeff Neal's striking ability. Like, this dude is serious, man. Like, and, and he's very accurate, and that's what I respect about him. So he's another guy who's really good at conserving energy, picking his shots. But when he has to be dangerous, he's going to be dangerous. I mean, look, man, this guy, I think he's going to be one of the staples at 170. Um, so just watch out for him. Nico Price is always dangerous, but, you know, I know the one big hole in his game is he tends to freeze up when he's on the cage, and he also tends to kind of um, lose himself in a, sh a striking exchange instead of just kind of looking at your opponent and seeing what's going on because he's ha he has some of the best knockouts at 170 from you know this year that just passed, but he's also been knocked out a couple of times by guys that he was pretty much supposed to beat. So um, I think that he's got a long way to go in that aspect, but... Um, He's going to have a tough fight with Jeff Neal, so I hope that he brings his A game. He does have the size advantage, but does he have the mental advantage? So either way, this fight's going to be incredible. A, a fight that I really am looking forward to, this is really random, comes out of nowhere. Gunnar Nelson versus Thiago Alves. That's a fun fight. I, I like Gunnar Nelson. I thought he looked good against Leon Edwards. Unfortunately, Leon Edwards just looked better, um, you know, quote, better, because does Leon Edwards ever look good in a fight? 
Uh, I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Glover Teixeira versus Nikita Krylov. Glover looked great his last fight. Yeah. So good his last fight. Yeah, and you know, um, he's going to be fighting Nikita Krylov, and this is going to be a very good fight. They're putting him up against these young guys, but he's like, dude, I'm not done. <laughs> and I love that about Glover because he's like, look, I yes, I got knocked out by Alexander Gustafson, but he's beating everybody. So it's like he's still in the top five to me. Yeah, he's and, making his way back. Yeah, like, do I want to see him against John Jones? Absolutely not. But to for him to be fighting at this level against these young guys who are trying to put him out, like, come on, man. I mean, you got to give this guy credit. And um, I think that this is going to be a good fight for him. And if he wins this fight, this puts him in an interesting situation um, for a couple of big fights, you know, because if he wins this fight, we could – very well be seeing him either against you know anthony smith or even freaking volcan holds again and i think he's still at that level where he can really give them trouble so um you know i'm just i'm I'm not too worried about him i'm more worried about the johnny walker and dominic reyes situation because there really hasn't been anything going on with that so that's good i'm sure we'll hear fight announcements for those guys very soon somebody uh i think it was on Brendan Schaub's show, he brought up, what if you put um, Dominic Reyes against Chris Weidman? And I was like, ooh, I like that fight. I do. I like that fight. I hope uh, – oh, no, it was uh, – was it the Schmo? I think it was the Schmo bringing it up to Dana White, and Dana White was like, ooh, I like that fight. Yeah, so uh, hopefully we hear more about that. In his retirement fight, I'm sure, because he cannot take another loss. Dan Hooker versus James Vick. I feel so bad for James Vick because I I love Dan Hooker. I think he is uh, somebody who's going to be someone that we're going to be talking about for a while. Look, man, Dan Hooker is the real deal. And, you know, he just ran into Edson Barbosa. It happens sometimes. Yeah. You know? It was just the same way Edson was taking everybody out, and then he ran into Donald Cerrone. Yep. But, you know, um, I'm sorry. James Vick, I was a fan of him for a while. You know, um, one fight that I really liked um, was when he fought Joseph Duffy. Those guys were, you know, they were really trying to feel each other out for a while. Now, James Vick was doing well. He was, he was throwing big shots, but he was trying to stay out of the way because Joseph Duffy's striking is incredible, but he also has good jiu-jitsu. But after a while, he started putting it on Joseph Duffy because he realized, like, I got to finish this guy. He's not going anywhere. And James Vick is really good at that. But the problem now is his chin is suspect, and he's losing focus in fights that are really important. So the way I see this fight going is him getting completely obliterated by Dan Hooker. And the the reason I see it that way is because of the fact that Dan Hooker has an excellent chin. He's not going anywhere. He likes the striking exchange. He likes that brawling type of fight because he has it in him. He's Australian, and I'm well. I think he's from New Zealand, but he's from that that, that, area. that area of the world where he trains with with our boy Stylebender. Yeah, and look, whether it's in New Zealand or Australia, the level of striking is completely different there. 
okay, and, and this guy can really throw hands. He really did with Edson Barbosa. It was just those body shots that really messed him up. But, hey, James Vick isn't going to do that. So I'm sorry, but I give it maybe a round and a half before James Vick gets put down because at that point he's not going to be able to take shots anymore. And his chin's always in the air. So Dan Hooker's going to exploit that. So expect to see a lot of straight rights, left hooks, and a lot of front kicks to the jaw. Expect to see that because that's what, exactly what's going to happen in this fight. And I, and I can almost call what's going to happen. I see the front kick hurting James Vick and then a right hand left hook coming up and then just putting him to bed. That's what I see. So expect that in the first round. <laughs> the UFC made this fight for you, Clay Guida versus Jim Miller. Yeah. That's that's exciting. That's going to be a great for, fight. For two old-timers, you know, like, let's not say old-timers because they both still can move. Uh, two veterans, we'll call them. Yeah, two veterans. I, I, do, I do think that that's a good decision for both of those guys. Nobody here is going to make a title run, nor do they need to. They have nothing to prove. But I'm here for them to just put on good fights. How much fun was it to see Clay Guida – Put on, uh, put his hands on BJ Penn. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, I think it's great for both of their careers because you know they're 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 kind of reaching you know that 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 end point for their careers. It's not a bad thing, you know. Um, when you look not at, at Jim Jim Miller, he had one of the longest winning streaks in the UFC lightweight division. He ran a he ran you know Donald Cerrone, a couple of high level fighters, but this dude's always put on a, a great performances against serious opposition. His ground game is no joke, but Clay Guida has beaten some of the best fighters in the world with just his wrestling, and he's got decent hands too. So I think we're gonna see a great fight, a great barn burner, and um, I just think it's gonna be a great fight for the fans like me. Like I'm gonna be tuning in to watch that fight because we get to see the classic wrestler versus jujitsu player, and um, it's two guys who love to put on a show. So I'm super excited for this fight. A fight that we forgot to talk about last week. Nico Montano in her 135 debut against Juliana Pena, someone who we've been looking for for how long now? Yeah. That that's exciting. It was funny too because I started searching like what was going on with her. She had a baby, she had some injuries, and then she was talking to her doctors and you know her trainer told her like you're almost there, you can come back, and then boom out of nowhere. Nico Montano versus Juliana Pena. I was like, wow, that was like a couple days after I was looking her up. But I thought it was great, and you know, and I think that's going to be a great fight between two excellent grapplers. Um, and if Nico wins this fight, I mean, this puts her in an interesting position. Because if we remember, Juliana Pena went on a huge winning streak and only lost to Valentina Shevchenko. So th- e- either way, whoever wins this fight is put in a very interesting position at 135. Because right now, 135 is kind of up in the air. We don't really see a lot of 135 fights anymore. It's just 125 and 115. So this could probably bring back a surge to that division. But, you know, there is one fight we didn't talk about um, that just got announced today. And that was BJ Penn in a fight outside (laughs) of a strip club with some guy. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was so terrible. I'm sorry, but I had to bring it up. Does... Is this the move for the UFC to cut bait on him? Listen, the move for the UFC is to retire this man and just give him a job at the Performance Institute. Give him a job at headquarters. Send him to China. 
Send them to China. Send them to China. Have them do some seminars. Please, just something. Just stop with the fights. This guy hasn't won a fight since like 2000 something. It's over for him. It's over. So you bring up one bad decision. I'm going to tell you the worst decision of the week. Kobe Covington versus Robbie Lawler. I think that this is the biggest mistake Kobe Covington has ever made in his MMA career. Do you have any idea how angry Robbie Lawler was when he lost to Ben Askren in the way he did? And do you think that he's going to go into this fight just completely composed? No. He's going to put the worst beating on Kobe Cub anyone's ever oh seen. Oh my god. I can't wait because Kobe's going to be doing that whole talking crap thing and Robbie Lawler's going to look at him and say, "I'm going to consume your soul. I don't care about how many porn stars you had sex with. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care that you think you're the champion. I'm going to put your lights out and dominate you everywhere. And I don't care about Kobe's wrestling." I'm. I promise you this, Robbie is going to beat the mess out of Kobe Covington. If you want to look at a tactical overview of this fight, good luck Kobe taking Robbie Lawler down because he has some of the highest takedown defense percentage in the UFC for the last four or five years. Okay, even freaking Rory McDonald had trouble taking him down. I don't want to hear it. Your wrestling game is garbage. You can't strike with Robbie because you will get knocked out cold. It's over for Kobe. And I think we're going to see Robbie Lawler potentially be a title challenger against Kamaru Usman. So, uh, you know, ATT versus Hard Knocks 365. Let's run that back. Let's let's do it. Oh, man. Dude, when I saw that, I was like, seriously? What? <laughs> me too. I was like, are you kidding finally? me? Like, don't get me wrong. I do understand that Kobe Covington is a high-level fighter. But for someone who who was this close to getting that shot, to take a fight against Robbie Lawler, who in some people's eyes just got robbed, maybe the worst decision Look, man. in MMA. He got robbed, but listen. If he would have gotten out of that bulldog choke, and he would have got up back up to defeat. <laughs> Come on, man. Look at the freaking damage that he put on Ben Askren in less than 20 seconds. What do you think he's going to do to Colby if Colby tries to shoot him for a takedown? Like Josh Koscheck shot in on Robbie, and Robbie stuffed his takedown, easily pushed him on the cage, and started pummeling his face, almost knocking him out cold. And Josh Koscheck's like, I was okay. And the, the ref's like, no, you weren't. You were going to die. Like, people forget that that's the kind of Robbie that is still around. Like, he's not done in any way, shape, or form. He beat Carlos Condit. He beat Roy McDonald. He freaking beat um, Donald Cerrone. Like, he's beaten the best of the best. So, Colby, you made a massive mistake. All right, I understand if you were going to take a fight against Leon Edwards. Okay, cool. Nobody's going to watch it, but it's a safer fight. But damn, you screwed up, man. 
you're gonna get your ass whooped. Bad, bad. And, and the best part is that Robbie Lawler's gonna be laughing at you when you're on the ground unconscious. He's gonna be like, "Oh, this crap this guy was talking." Oh man, I cannot wait to see the build up to that fight. Absolutely. Our final fight announcement comes from our hometown. Joe Pfeiffer returns to action September thirteenth. Um, I believe that's the same night as Zed on a Art of War card. So, September 13th, my baby should be like a month by then. Uh, I hope that my girlfriend lets me go, and me and you will be at that card. Absolutely. <laughs> so excited to finally be at an Art of War card. Let's get into UFC on ESPN3. There's two fights that I do want to talk about. The main event being Junior Dos Santos versus Francis Ngannou. This fight will last 50 seconds. <laughs> I'll say 30. 30. <laughs> Who do you got? How do you see this playing out? Because this is, you know, JDS has been looking sharp. Francis, you know, I mean, he beat Kane his last fight. Questionable, you know, was Kane hurt, you know, but he did win. Yeah. Let's just say he won. Yeah. So Francis Ngannou versus JDS. Who do you got and how does it shake out? Now, I'm not going to lie. I spent a while thinking about this fight, um, you know, this week that just passed. And uh, it's kind of difficult. You know, I read an article on ESPN that basically stated JDS's striking style could be the reason why he loses. And um, I thought it was BS when I first, like, saw the headline. I was like, okay, you don't know what you're talking about. But then I read what they were saying, and it kind of makes sense. Now, JDS, his main issue when he strikes is there's two things. He doesn't use head movement. The only kind of head movement he uses is moving back. But when he's doing that, he also moves with his feet, which always pushes him back to the cage. And we saw that he had a huge problem with that against Stipe Miocic and against Cain Velasquez. He basically went where they wanted him to go, and he paid for it with a heavy price. Can he do that with Francis Ngannou? No. Even a jab will put JDS down because that's how hard Ngannou hits. But here's the thing. JDS's key to victory is simple. Stay in the center of the octagon. Use your jab. Use kicks. Mix in the takedowns. If he does that for five rounds, that's it. Ngannou's done. He has to take a page out of Stipe Miocic's book. Because if not, he's going to get KO'd in like 30 seconds. And Ganu's key to victory is simple. Swing and swing <laughs> hard. <laughs> swing swing hard and wait for one of them to land. Yep. And if it does, it's pretty much a solid victory for him. So, hey, I mean, I just can't wait for this Cormier Miocic fight to happen and then we can see where the heavyweight division lies after that yep i think the first in line obviously will be the winner of this fight so either way we have an interesting fight um for stipe you know 
it's one of those situations where win or lose, we might be seeing Daniel retire in that cage that night. So, um, hey, you know, let's see. John <laughs> Jones fight ain't happening. So no, N- nor does it need to. Yeah. Okay, and then you know the one fight to really you know keep this flyweight division open, Juicy A Formiga versus Joseph Benavidez. Now I'm only bringing this fight up because. Not too long after Henry Cejudo's win, you brought up Juicy A Formiga saying he's the one, he's the only one that uh, Cejudo needs to fight. You know, the only one left in this division that makes sense. But Joseph Benavidez, man, the one guy, you know, the best fighter not to wear that title in that division. Yeah, and you know, um, at this point, hearing how Henry's talking, um, he doesn't care about 125 and um, you can clearly see that. You know, you heard his call-outs. Dominic Cruz. Um, Cody Garbrandt. Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber. Frankie Edgar. He didn't say Juicier Formiga. Mm-mm. He didn't say Joseph Benavidez. He lost to Joseph Benavidez. Why wouldn't you want to get your rematch to truly say, I'm still the king of the flyweights? So, you know, it, it is what it is. This is one of those cases where I would be okay with them, you know, telling him, "Hey, vacate 125. We don't think you're coming back down there. It's okay. Not a big deal. You want to fight at 135? It's cool. I don't see anything wrong with it. He looks very high level at 135. You know, he's not cutting much weight. He might be small, but you know, he's very intelligent. He knows how to get in and get out. Takedowns are some of the best in the world. He's very strong." I mean, hey, you saw his size against um, TJ Dillashaw. He was walking around at 146, looking solid and strong. So, you know, I, I think that maybe it w- would be cool for him to vacate and then have another fight, maybe Juicy or Formiga against somebody else for the va- you know the vacant flyweight belt, just to see what what happens. You know, because I know that I think I honestly believe that Juicy is going to come out on top of this fight. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way, Joseph Benavidez. I just think that he's that uh, he's that fly that never goes away. Yeah, he's the guy who's always going to do well in that division. I just think that um, Juicier's kind of on a different level now. When he started in the UFC, he was kind of, you know, in and out when it came to contention. But now, you know, he's fighting guys who are very dangerous in that division, and he's, like, just outsmarting them. Um, his last fight, um, he fought against a very high-level striker with one-punch knockout power in both hands. And he strike from the striking defense to his takedowns and his submission attempts and all that. Like you could see, like he's like, no, dude, like I'm here, I'm here, I'm trying to win this belt. I don't care about how hard you punch. He didn't care at all. He used solid head movement, good blocks. And, um, you know, I think that he's going to do that against Joseph Benavidez. So, um, let's see what happens with the 125ers. Yeah, we'll see. So, that is UFC on ESPN3. Now, let's get into some listener questions. We had a question come in live from an old friend of ours, you know, an old compadre, Joey Mendez. Wow. <laughs> Big Brother Joe says, who you got, Bieber or Tom Cruise? <laughs> uh, I'm 
Tom Cruise on this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what can you really say about this fight? I'm just going to say Bieber because he's younger. Um, dude, I can't – if this is really a thing, like Dana White said this will be like the biggest fight, like the biggest pay-per-view in history. That is insane to think about. What What's even scary is like – when you look at how well-rounded they both are, like, if you have to look at it, like, Justin Bieber can't fight. <laughs> but Tom Cruise can. I mean, have you guys seen Jack Reacher? I mean, this dude, this dude's got some sick technique. Like, I'm sorry, but people laugh, and they're just like, oh, yeah, it's just movie stuff. That's real martial arts that these guys are using. It's like John Wick. You think you can take a freaking Keanu Reeves in a fight? No, he'll kill you. <laughs> he'll kill any run-of-the-mill regular guy like me. So... I'm sorry, but if this is an MMA fight, Tom Cruise will kill Justin Bieber. <laughs> so, hopefully Conor McGregor Enterprises will host this bout. And that will be freaking crazy. Because that will be one for the history books. Yeah, I don't I don't even know if Conor McGregor's wallet is fat enough to pay them. Yeah, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> and then we have our weekly question from the good buddy Ron Pashery. Pash, we miss you. We'll see you soon. Oh, yeah. He says, Paulie and Artem had to be the most noticed bare-knuckle fight in its history. Will the slow pace and muddy, indecisive result hurt them? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it was like I was touching on before. If you want this sport to get better and you want it to become more lucrative and more popular amongst MMA fans and boxing fans, that's the key. You have to draw both sides in, kickboxing fans. Take a page out of Bellator's book. Not only do they have Bellator MMA, but they have Bellator kickboxing. That was amazing. 1FC, Muay Thai matches. Muay Thai with MMA gloves. Kickboxing matches. MMA, grappling matches. Who wouldn't want to watch that? Excuse me, BKFC, bare-knuckle kickboxing fights. Bare knuckle Muay Thai fights. They do that, that's their ticket. They do that, they'll be able to draw in more high pace, high level fighters who can go in there and look for finishes in their respective, you know, sports. And if they do, I mean, you, we could even be seeing a guy like Sanchai fighting because he's a Luthway master. So to put him up against a, another high level guy, like that would be an incredible thing for them to do. But um, you know, that will be something great for them if they can secure those kind of fighters and yes we are still fighting with this fly <laughs> yo this is i've lost this fight this is about the third round <laughs> down on the cards <laughs> yeah i mean i i posed the question earlier in this episode like what is left for bkfc i guess the only thing they have is artem so we will find out very soon andre yes this has been the 25th episode of the Your Boy Elroy MMA podcast. I am Josh Prep Egina. You can find me on all forms of social media at Elroy Preps in one word. Andre, tell them about yourself. Everybody, you can find me as Flowstate Dre on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me as my regular name, Andre Rodriguez, on Facebook. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and have a good weekend. Yeah, this has been a fantastic 25 weeks spent with my boy Andre, with the listeners. 
rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Um, five stars, please. If it's your birthday, happy birthday. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and we'll see you next week.